You're listening to season three of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. If you missed the first two seasons where we covered a bunch of awesome players, games, and even drafts, you can find them all on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we launched Recipe Club with Dave Chang. Gamblers, a new narrative series from Dave Hill and the Ringer Music Show with Charles Holmes. We launched all of those just in the past 10 days. So check all of them out. You can also check out the rewatchables, 8mm. We did that this week. Hope you check out the Bill Simmons podcast as well. If you missed the first two Book of Basketball 2.0 podcasts, we did Allen Iverson. We did Julius Irving. And now it's time to do Kevin Garnett. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball. The Book of Basketball, Kevin Garnett. Garnett receives. The big ticket punches one home. Alley back to Kevin. Oh, baby! Garnett to the wing. Punch it in. If you love the NBA in the 2000s, you watched Kevin Garnett waste away in Minnesota and wondered exactly how great is this guy? Nobody knew. He was one of the best power forwards ever, the league's best defensive player, one of the fiercest competitors in any sport. And he didn't guarantee you 50 wins or a second round appearance? Was that Garnett's fault? What did it mean to be a superstar anyway? His rival, Tim Duncan, blessed with impactful teammates, a Hall of Fame coach and a savvy front office. Poor KG had nothing other than the first wave of advanced metric nerds vouching for his dominance. And by the mid-2000s, his NBA biological clock was ticking. And he knew it. Garnett's famed intensity slowly morphed into despair and frustration with a whiff of, I may kill everyone on my team tonight, thrown in just for good measure. And yet, he wouldn't ditch Minnesota and demand a trade, Jackie McBowen. We were not in the player empowerment era anymore. It was more like the loyal sap era back then, right? I know. Well, these days, Anthony Davis can grab max money in New Orleans without feeling like, you know, he had to carry the franchise. KG's era wasn't like that. And the incompetent T-Wolves, they turned him into the stereotypical, loyal, unhappy spouse who wouldn't consider divorce because of the kids. And so Garnett stuck around. He stuck around for the likes of Mark Blunt and Ricky Davis and Marco Yarick 
He missed the playoffs for three straight years. There wasn't a more tragic figure in the league. The Spurs 97 and the Timberwolves 84. Nowitzki, that should do it. And they will be eliminated here in L.A. After Minnesota released Paul Shirley in 2006, he sent me a gushing email about KG's everyday brilliance and declared that if KG played on a contender like Duncan did, quote, people would speak of him as a candidate for best player ever, end quote. Was that becoming KG's legacy, the coulda, shoulda, woulda superstar? The Ernie Banks or Barry Sanders of basketball. Every time I watch Garnett play in person, I always admired his command of the room how he seemed larger than life at all times. Unfortunately, that charisma didn't translate to postseason success. Again, Garnett lost his first seven playoff series, but things briefly turned in 2004, his MVP season. Shot clock is down to five. Garnett way outside. Game seven, Sacramento, round two. Garnett puts up a 32 and 21 against Chris Weber. And Garnett over Weber. Gets to the next round. They lose to the Lakers. Is the Sam Cassell injury underrated for you that year, 2004? 100% under. I was about to say. Now, Sam was getting old, but Sam is one of those sneaky, gotta have them in the postseason. Like, people talk about big shot Bob. They should be talking about Sam Cassell the same way. Totally agree. Underrated. Well, that contender quickly imploded thanks to more dreadful trades and more dreadful signings from our guy, Kevin McHale. As Garnett became my only top 40 pyramid guy, to miss three straight postseasons in his prime. At that point, the KG-Duncan debate was in full swing, and it centered around a hypothetical, impossible-to-prove argument. If you switch Duncan and KG from 98 to 2007, would KG be the guy with four rings? I never bought that one. We'll talk about it later. What set Duncan apart for me was his ability to raise his game in big moments. He was just as selfless and competitive as Garnett, but he also understood the crucial difference between a ho-hum January game in Atlanta and a must-win game five in LA. He always knew exactly what his team needed. And you could say he had gears. You could say he peaked, depending on the moment. Garnett had fifth gear and that's it. I personally don't think he could have carried the limited 2003 Spurs to a championship like the Duncan did. Do you think he could have? I think he may have been able to, yes. Oh. Well, there you go. We'll get into it later. Well, regardless, by the summer of 2007, that argument was dead. And it was the same summer Garnett finally caved. He agreed to a Celtics trade after our guy Kevin McHale couldn't stomach the thought of making him a Laker. You believe that? Well, what about a son? We're covering all that later. With Paul Pierce and Ray Allen suddenly flanking him in Boston and freed KG to protect the rim, draw centers away from the hoop of this killer 18-footer, throw up at 2012 every night. Unleash his unparalleled intensity, and he didn't have to worry about making every big shot. Kevin Garnett with the steal. Kevin Garnett getting his hand on the basketball. Boston fans responded to him like they did to Cowens and Bird before him. He was their new spirit animal. The guy who cared just a little bit more than everyone else. The 66 win Celtics suffered through 25 up and down playoff games that we forget now. They fueled another is KG clutch debate. It all started again. I even wrote a column about it. I went to game six of the 2008 finals in Boston. Another matchup between the Celtics and the Lakers. I watched Garnett standing near Boston's bench before tip, muttering encouragement to himself, prancing over to the basket support and headbutting it as hard as he could. And my dad and I, we looked at each other. We raced to make the, uh uh-oh, I think we're getting the killer KG tonight. That's what happened. Here's to Garnett. 
His signature moment was a three-point play, got knocked to the ground, flung a line drive, banked it in. Inside, banks it in, and a foul! What a play from Kevin Garnett! Lay on the floor, his arms raised, he was screaming at the ceiling, crowd's going bonkers. And we were like 18,000 people pouring Red Bull down his throat that night. He finished with a 26 and 14. Usual ridiculous defense. Found his playoff swagger. My goodness. A level of passion unique to him and only him. Let the record show. Garnett played one of his better games to clinch a championship. Something mm-hmm. 1978 champ Elvin Hayes, Bob Ryan's least favorite player, couldn't say. Of much all less, time. <laughs> much less... Uh, Carl Malone couldn't say it. Patrick Ewing, C-Webb, Harden, George Gervin, anyone else from the not-so-clutch superstar group that Garnett escaped. And what he did for the 08 Celtics could not be measured by statistics. It would belittle what happened. He transformed the culture of a broken franchise that we were all really worried about. He got teammates caring about defense, practice, professionalism, taught them to focus on winning over numbers, transformed the careers of Rondo, Perkins, Pierce, Doc Rivers. During blowouts, he cheered on teammates like it was a tight game. Eventually, the bench guys followed suit like giddy March Madness scrubs. I got to say, I've never watched a more contagious, selfless, team-oriented guy on a daily basis. Every time a young player went for his own stats or snapped at the coach, KG set him straight. Every time a teammate was intimidated, he had his back. Every time a teammate got knocked down, KG rushed over to pick him up. Every time an opponent shot after a whistle, KG defiantly blocked the shot. I'm sure he regretted it once his knees went. Uh, <laughs> He lost Eventually, the whole year. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Eventually, every Celtic followed suit on everything he was doing. It was a series of little things, baby steps, if you will. But they built the backbone of an eventual championship, a wonderful all-around player, ultimately. Kevin Garnett, only as good or great as his teammates, and I'm fine with that. I think we'll remember him like Jimmy Page or Keith Richards, the gifted, awesome guitarist who needed an equally gifted band to make a great album. And maybe any solo album would be a little bit forgettable. Maybe that was our answer. Welcome to the 1995 NBA draft. I have him as one of the best 30 players ever, but you know what his legacy really is, Jackie McMullen? In 1995, he jumps into the NBA draft right out of high school. First time in 20 years. Yeah, 19. The ensuing Sports Illustrated cover has the headline, ready or not, dot, dot, dot. We had no idea. Could a raw seven-foot super freak become the first overall pick? Would he fall out of the top 10? Was it dangerous to give a 19-year-old kid $40 million? We asked those questions at the time. It seems silly that anyone would have doubted Kevin Garnett, but in 1995, at age 19, they did. He fell to the fifth pick. With the fifth pick, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Kevin Garnett. Within a few months, it became clear. Everyone made a massive, massive mistake. In March of 96, some Sports Illustrator writer named Jackie McMullen wrote, Quote, his gangly arms, basketball instincts, and raw athletic ability have earned him rave reviews from none other than Bulls superstar Michael Jordan. Jordan is not alone in forecasting greatness for Garnett. Here's the thing. The league would never be the same. KG didn't just pave the way for Kobe and T-Mac and LeBron and Dwight Howard, but for everyone in Dungai, everything sped up. Precocious lottery picks were thrown into the NBA fire immediately. Sink or swim. And to our enduring surprise, many of them could swim really well. So yeah, Kevin Garnett, he won 20% of Tim Duncan's titles, but he changed the league undeniably. And you know what he really did? He proved that anything was possible. All right, Jackie McBone is here. She was living in Boston for pretty much all of that in the Boston area. You covered him. 
you covered him for yeah. his entire career, and then you got to see him day in, day out on the Celtics when he just became a legend immediately. What was it like to cover him? Yeah, so I would bop in and out of Minnesota. You referenced that story, which I had forgotten. That's how long <laughs> I've been doing this. But, you know, I would see him through the years in, in and out of Minnesota. Uh, so I knew him a little bit when he came to Boston, but I, I just remember um, I talked to him when he got there, but he was pretty tight with everybody, tight-lipped, just wasn't really interested in engaging. And, and that's the first thing I learned about Kevin Garnett is you have to earn his trust. And sometimes you earn it even when you don't know you have, because he's looking for things that maybe the rest of us don't look for. Mm. And that was one of the things. And, and loyalty is one of the things he looks for irrelevant when it comes to sports writers, right? We can't be loyal to a, a player. But the other thing he looks for, and I, I learned this very early on, was Kevin Garnett's a bully. And he'll bully you. And he's waiting for you to bully him back. And if you don't, he's done with you. He's moved on to the next. And there's a, there's a million stories about that. One of them, there was, a, I don't know if you remember this guy. His name was Patrick O'Brien. Oh, yeah. That was the famous okay. one. Yeah. Right. So he was playing in practice. After practice, he was a big kid, not doing particularly well. Cliff, Cliff, uh, Clifford Ray was the big man coach for the Celtics. He was working with him afterwards. So KG sees him. He goes down there. He starts trying to bully Patrick O'Brien, get a, get a rise out of him. He's slamming him. He's blocking his shots. He's talking trash to him. And Patrick O'Brien just isn't that kind of dude, you know? So he's just taking it all. He's, he's, his thought is, I'm not going to let him get a rise out of me. And Garnett spent half an hour trying to get a rise out of him. Never got it. Got disgusted you know, threw a towel down, stormed out of the gym, and then tortured this kid for the remainder of his very short Celtics career because uh, he didn't clap back. Right. Okay? And that's really important to Kevin. And I didn't know that. When he first got here to Boston, I remember, like I said, I talked to him a few times. I think it was probably before his first game or one of them. I went into the locker room. Back then, we did a lot of pregame interviews in the locker room. Those are impossible now. They don't exist. The players aren't even out there. But back then, you... You went in and, I mean, some of the best conversations I ever had with Bird and Mikhail and those guys was, you know, before the game, in the pregame. So I go up to him and I'm, I'm asking him a question and he's in this, I didn't realize it, froth. Like he's all frothed out. He's lathered up. He's rocking in his seat. And he starts barking at me. Get the bleep, bleep, bleep away from me. Can't you see I'm playing for the bleeping game? And he's like going off on me and I'm like... What, what's your deal, man? And he's like, I don't know what, you know, what, 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 where you came from or who you are, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, I mean, I was mad. I was a little embarrassed probably, right? People were standing around. So I'm like, hey, dude, I was here before you. I'll be here after you. And I walked out because I was, I was mad, you know? So Jeff Twist, the great Jeff Twist, the PR guy, was he saw this whole thing and he's like, oh, I think you just need to understand uh, Kevin has a very special pregame uh, preparation and don't take it personally and whatever. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But anyway, years later, Avery Bradley told me he would get so worked up before games. And we're talking a regular season game or a playoff game. It didn't matter that they'd all leave the locker room. They'd all go hide in the training room or go hide somewhere else. Cause nobody wanted to be with them. I didn't know that at the time, but when I saw him the next day, we kind of got into it and I'm like, look, man, I'm just trying to do my job and I've been here a long time. And I've, we, there's been a lot of superstars that come through and nobody's as rude as you are, you know? And so because I clapped back, we did okay after that. So that was something I learned about KG. You, you've got to clap back. He, he's, you know, like poor Charlie Villanueva. What do you, how can you clap back to what KG said to him? I mean, there's a really right. ugly side to KG, but that's just, it's because he's the most intense guy I've ever seen. 
It's so funny you mentioned the story about you and KG because I was telling a friend of mine who works for the Celtics, we were doing this pod, and he's like, you've got to ask her about the time she got into it with KG. It was legendary. She stood up Oh, to really? Him. Oh, yeah. see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, but at the time for me, it was like, what the heck? You know, I was just trying to do my job. But we got, yeah. you know, over time, we kind of got there. The other time we got into it a little bit was... You know, after they win, he's got the knee problems and everybody's like, oh, my God, is he, you know, he he, he had this real adverse, um, he was very adverse to medication. He didn't trust anybody, Bill. Yeah. He real trust was a major, major problem for him. He didn't trust people. And it goes all the way back to South Carolina when he had the incident in high school and he didn't feel like his teammates and his high school coach backed him up. You know, trust was everything to him. And that happened. And then with Marbury in, in Minnesota, you know, they were best, they were bros. They were dogs together. And then you know, Marbury bailed. And so he just, trust was a thing with him. And, uh, and he had, he had problems trusting people. So when he was having the knee trouble, they, the doctors wanted to give him injections. They wanted to give him certain medications and he wasn't having any of it. And as a result, he wasn't getting better, you know, because right. some of those things are kind of necessary. And, uh, and I remember saying to him, I had to do this story. I was assigned to do a story about is, is it over for him? You know? And I had people off the record saying, he's never going to be the same. He looks awful. So. He wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't talk to me. So again, Jeff Twist, God bless him, said, uh, well, what is it you're getting at? And I said, look, tell him. If I, I don't talk to him. The story I have right now is that he's done. So he finally agreed to talk to me. But of course, he made me go on the road to Chicago. <laughs> and we sat down and he explained to me in detail everything that he was dealing with, what he, why he issued certain medications, why he, he felt he shouldn't get regular injections because he had done some reading about how that could damage him down the road. Like, it was actually a very thoughtful response to what at the time seemed a little bit like an irrational response to something. He's a lot smarter than than people think. Well, it was a little bit of a bummer that most of his high-profile games happened in Boston. He And he was, 08 was his last vintage year, but the right, 09, right. 10, 11, 12 KG was at a different phase of his career. You know, it wasn't as bad as like Bird the last two years or something like oh, that. God, but, nothing was as bad as that. That was yeah. horrible to watch. But like you think like in 2010 game seven in the finals against Gass Gasol and Bynum right. and Odom, he only had three rebounds, you know, and, and well, he didn't yeah. seem like he was he playing no on two healthy legs. Yeah, he had no left. I mean, everything changed. And the, what I always looked at with him was um, he was such a prolific shot blocker. And I don't know that people remember that so much. Mm. Um, but especially you go back to Minnesota. He had some games where he would, he never cared about scoring. He really was one of those guys that truly didn't care that much. That's why he reminds me so much of Duncan. Cause I don't think, I mean, Duncan, think about Duncan in, in a different system on a different team, how many points he could have scored. He didn't right. care. And, and Garnett was the same way. Now, unfortunately for him in Minnesota, they needed him to score and they needed him to score and rebound and defend. They needed him to do everything. But that's why it was so great for him to get to Boston because Paul wanted to score. Ray wanted to shoot every time he got the ball. That's not a criticism. That's just who Ray is. He's a big shot guy. And so it was the perfect fit for KG, who was very happy to do a lot of other things besides scoring. Right. Yeah, Doc Rivers always called him like the greatest superstar role player of all time. Yeah, Like he right. did well, and, all you know, the little stuff. Yeah, he did. And, you know, Doc used to tell me, like, that he'd be so revved up before games. And again, these aren't playoff games. This is playing... You know, the Detroit Pistons in 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 November. Yeah. He would be so revved up in pregame that Doc never ran a play for him in the first quarter because he said if he did, KG would shoot it and shatter the backboard because he'd be so revved up, you know? Right. He kind of had to work some of that out. Well, I think we we I wanted to go to the Duncan versus KG thing for a second. Cause yeah, absolutely. I do think with the numbers you can make the case. Yeah, if you switch those 100%. guys, it'd be the same thing. 
I, the difference for me though is, and I, I feel like you could really feel it during that 08 season, the way he played being in fifth gear every game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's as sustainable over a hundred games. And I, I thought that was one of the reasons those Celtics teams really suffered those first three rounds. He didn't have another gear to go. And if anything, he was in his own way a lot. He wanted it so badly. Um, that's an interesting point. I've you never know, like really they, considered that. Yeah. Remember game set? They, Atlanta takes him to seven. I, oh my I gosh, still don't know how yeah. that happened. Cleveland, Can you imagine it was they LeBron. Lost? Nobody, yeah, they almost did. I know. And imagine if they had, how history would have changed, how everything would have changed, you know? And and Doc Rivers, I mean, gosh, like he needs that on his resume too. Oh you my, know? Well, that Think would have been the worst one. Then Cleveland, right. the next round, yep. really it comes down to PJ Brown comes in in the last six minutes. PJ Brown a couple big shots. Yep, Pierce gets great. a big jump ball over LeBron, but that game was like three plays yeah. from flipping. They beat Detroit. That's the end of that Pistons team. And right. then the Lakers, they were just better. And yeah, they, they really kind of came into their own in that Lakers series. Well, but, and, and you know, Phil Jackson, and who knows if this is revisionist history on Phil's, Phil's part, but he told me in 2008, you know, when they were taking that beating, remember if Phil was standing with his arms folded, he didn't do anything. He didn't change anything. We're all like, what is he doing? Like, what, yeah. what, what is... And he claims, you know, years later to me that he knew they couldn't win that series and he wanted them to feel the humiliation of it. And he wanted to use it for the next two years to motivate them to go back to the finals and beat the Celtics again. Now it happened in 2010. And he claims that, you know, all he had to do was mention that and Kobe and all the rest of them just like, God, now, who knows if that's really revisionist history on his part? I, I can't possibly say. Yeah, but, I mean, he has yeah. been prone to do that from time to yes, time. Yes, he but has I, a little bit. I do He's, think he did consider things like that when he was oh, coaching. Oh, 100%. But there's no that's question. That's how his mind works. That's how his yeah. mind works. Yeah, no question either. So I think for Garnett, it was the perfect place for him to be. And he had two guys that were willing, chomping at the bit really, to be scorers in Pierce and Ray Allen. So it took a lot of pressure off. But the, the comparison with Duncan, the reason I think they're the same is I think both guys that played for him felt like when things were, when you were locked in, KG was the best teammate you could ask for. And so was Tim Duncan. The difference Mm. is that Tim Duncan could be a a great teammate to everyone because that was his demeanor. Kevin Garnett could not, he couldn't reconcile guys like Patrick O'Brien or Mm. Wally Zerbiak, who he, you know, got into it with and then played with him for a bunch of years afterwards. But to me, that's the difference is it. And it's kind of in keeping with what you're talking about, not just on the court, but off the court, that fifth gear always stuck in that fifth gear. Hey, the rest of us have families and people to go see. And we, we love basketball, but we can't live it 24 seven. And if Ray Allen decides to go to Miami for a contract and a chance to win a championship, like that is Kevin Garnett cannot understand that. Well, and especially think, when it was for less money. Right. And I think Tim Duncan probably could. So I think the difference to me really is their demeanor. Now, I mean, it's interesting if you look at it, Tim Duncan is obviously considered one of the greatest players of all time. Top five, top 10 player for most people, right? The best power forward of all time is what I think most people think. Me too. I really would contend that Kevin Garnett isn't really that far behind in terms mm. of pure ability and what he could have done. I mean, let's swap them on the teams. How, you know, you don't think Greg Popovich would have loved Kevin Garnett? Oh, yeah. And that fiery intensity. I mean, they're similar in a lot of ways, right? Pop, you know, sometimes Pop's only stuck in that, that high fifth gear <laughs> right. too, right? I mean, and, and he would have been the best teammate because he wouldn't have cared about 
again, points and notoriety, the small market, none of that mattered to KG. And none of it certainly mattered to Tim Duncan, who in his one free agent foray almost went to Orlando for crying out loud. Like neither one of those guys were, were, were about the Lakers or, or the, you know, the, the, the uh, dramatic fancy. That wasn't what motivated either one of them. So I think if you swap them, I think Tim Duncan might have done a little better with Minnesota than than KG did. But I think, I mean, can I say KG would have won all those championships? No. I mean, Tim Duncan's an unbelievable player. I don't mean to disparage him. I just really believe that they were a little closer than people think. And it's just because there's no MVPs. And, you know, there's one MVP for Garnett and there's only, there's the one championship and that's it. And in your point, playoffs, that's a big one too. I mean, Duncan was just spectacular in the playoffs. Well, and Duncan had a lot better luck with roster stuff, which we'll get to when we get to this. Let's go to the categories because we got a lot of cover. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Here's the resume for Kevin Garnett. Okay. 21 years he played. His his career is legally old enough to Two drink. years, two years, too many. <laughs> yeah. 15 quality, 14 all-stars. He was the 04 MVP. He was the runner-up in 00 and 03, third in right. 2008. Best mm-hmm. player on a, a championship team. He's in the 26K, 14K club for points, rebounds. Only seven players in there. He's ninth right? in win shares. Hmm. Four first-team All-NBAs, three second teams, two third teams. Here's why All-NBAs, I had a lot of trouble with this when I was doing my book because sometimes you can be clustered in just an awesome era. Like in, in yeah, 2001, Weber, KG, and Duncan are all in the league at the peak of their powers, basically. Right. But So he's basically a top... 10 guys, seven times. Defensive player of the year in 08, four-time rebounding champ. His three-year peak, 23-14 and six, 50% field goal, 28 PR. Uh, 04 playoffs, 24-15 and five. Right. 08 playoffs, 20-11 and three, uh, 50% so look both at, times. I, I don't think you probably have it there, but if you had Duncan's peak years, peak three years, I bet their numbers are almost identical. They are. They, yeah. It's same kind of like 23... 14, 15, yeah, five four assists. assists like, probably each yeah. of them three or four assists a game, yeah. All right, five things you need to know. First one is really important. You mentioned him for a second. The Stefan Marbury debacle. Mm-hmm. So KG's drafted in 95. Next year, 
They get Marbury. They have the fifth pick. Milwaukee is the fourth pick. They flip picks, send them a 1998 first rounder so they can get Marbury. They could have stayed at five and taken Ray Allen, which is a right. whole what if whole nother thing. rabbit hole. And actually, yeah. in a weird way, Ray Allen might have been a better teammate for him because at least he would have been more reliable. Um, they're supposed to be the new Stockton and Malone. There's a great Sports Illustrated piece in 1997. You did not write this one. January. The headline is, this is a classic, feel the warmth. The Timberwolves twin wonderkins have built what Minnesota hopes is a lasting bond. I'm glad I didn't write two that. More years. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't write that. <laughs> Thank God that's not on your resume. <laughs> In that piece, Flip Saunders says, quote, if we can keep them together, eventually we should play for the championship. They might want to be Stockton and Malone, guys who play together in one place a long time. Bird, mm. Magic, McHale, Russell West, you associate these guys with their franchises. I think that appeals to Kevin and Stefan. Uh, well, and, one and out quote. of two. Yeah. One out of two anyway. Yeah. And see, <laughs> so he, here's an, he misread here's an, that one. Yeah, but but you know what? In fairness to him at the time, they were really tight. And they were tight before KG got there. They knew each right. other before that. They were texting back and forth. They had a friendship. So there well, was they had a, a whole AAU high school thing that right? goes back to when Marbury was like 15. And by the way, so does everybody. You know that yeah. um, KG was on loan to Paul Pierce's. Uh, do you know this story? KG yeah. was on loan to Paul Pierce's AAU team in Vegas. And they played together and they won. They There was a team that um, Pierce's team guys could never beat. So they got Kevin Garnett on loan and Pierce didn't know him at all. And he shows up at Vegas and he said he looked like some country bumpkin out of a, like a uh, Woolworth, <laughs> like a Woolworth, yeah. uh, what do you call it? No, Woolworth. Is it Woolworth? Yeah. The guy yeah. with all the plaid. And so he's like, who's this dude? But they taught Kevin Garnett how when they were in Vegas, they would take a cab and then they'd run on the fair. <laughs> they'd like skip out on the fair. Oh, I so never heard that cab. story. Yeah, oh so my they're God. in a cab together and they're running. And, and, and Pierce is whispering to Garnett as they get there. He goes, when I say go, go. So they go, go. But, you know, Kevin Garnett's seven feet tall. This feet Seven foot tall black guys trying to run away and hide. They got right. They got pinched by the cops. It's oh kind my of a god! Funny story. But anyway, so that goes back to that goes back to Pierce. But well, here so Marbury ends up leaving for a contract that we're going to talk about in one second. Uh, KG gets this massive contract. Marbury has trouble handling it. Once right. they change the rules so that there's no way he could ever make as much as KG did. Right. He has some weird existential crisis about it and decides he wants to be traded. They trade into New Jersey in 1999 for Terrell Brandon and a pick that became a lottery pick that was the Wally Serbiak pick. So it was mm. basically Marbury for Brandon and Wally Serbiak. Brandon was really good at the time. He was, oh, was hard. It's like a it's borderline a all-star. Yeah, he couldn't stay on the court. Yeah, um, he, if he had stayed healthy, he would have been a perennial all-star, I think. He, re, he was a really good player and a very reliable guy and a really level-headed guy, unlike Marbury, you know? Totally. So, Unfortunately, this leads to the first real tragedy of of KG's career. The second was Malik Sealy, who passed yes, away. But yeah, um, that was horrible. so. This one, Brandon, they take they get the Wally Serbiak pick. It's number six. They take him over Rip Hamilton, Andre Miller, Sean Marion are the next three picks. Hmm. Terrell Brandon gets hurt two years later, and as he's hurt, this new guy comes in that they had signed, took a chance on Chauncey Billups. He gets all the Brandon minutes, playing really well. And wants to get paid at the end of the end of the right. 2002 season. They're like, well, we have Terrell Brandon. Can't pay both of these guys. They Ugh. let Billups go to Detroit. He's, Detroit he's wins KG's a championship. best friend. Yeah, they win a championship. And yeah. guess who never came back? Terrell Brandon. He ended right. up retiring like within a year. So just that thing. They go from Marbury in three years to nobody. Nobody. And just the Serbiak contract, which was really bad and untradeable. 
It really so. was. Yeah, Billups. And, you know, Billups is so interesting, too, because he was another guy. Think about how he bounced around. I mean, the Celtics right. got very impatient with him when Rick Pitino was in charge. They got rid of him right away. And he he bounced all over the place. And I remember when he went to Detroit, because I think I went in there, I went into Detroit because I knew Chauncey from when he was in Boston. And he, I remember him saying to me, because he was disappointed that the Timberwolves didn't pony up, you know? And I remember him saying to me, they're going to regret it. I'm going to make mm. sure they regret this. And they did. There's actually pieces written that summer about this is the sleeper signing of that summer. Oh. You can find multiple of them because he was really good on Minnesota. So anyway, that's one thing you need to know. The, the Marbury thing was a disaster for KG. The, so that contract, here's the second thing. He signs for six years, $126 million in 97. Right. And he'd only been in the league two years at this point. And this becomes the reason the lockout happened. hundred percent That we have true. a rookie scale. Every yep. single decision that's been made with contracts dates back to this contract. Minnesota offers him six years, hundred-two million in August of ninety-seven, thinking, "Hey, that's a lot this of money, is a ton of yeah. money." <laughs> right. And KG and his agent were like, "Cool, we think we can do better." They're like, "What?" So yeah. um, Mark Fleischer, he hit him yeah. at his house. He had him stashed in Westchester County so nobody could find him when they were doing those negotiations. He was actually well, living with Mark Fleischer in New York during that time. And they were right. They so were right. By uh, by May ninety-nine, Sports Illustrated. The Sports Illustrated had some great stuff in the 90s because we really didn't have the internet back in. So when you're trying to find NBA stuff, it's really SI. Uh, so they wrote a piece that said he signed a contract for so much money that the people in charge scared themselves into action. Where will this all end, they asked. Uh, and Donnie Walsh has this quote. I think most owners looked at the contract and said, this is where it's going. There was no leverage on the side of the team. None. Mm. And we end up having the lockout. And they get a little control over it, right? They would, you could get to six years, like a hundred and one million or something like that. But right. they at least curbed it a little bit for a while. They put in the rookie scale, the big issue, and this is why this is such a frustrating era. From basically ninety three to ninety nine, these guys are getting drafted, and within two years, have incredible leverage. And we saw right. in Boston with Antoine Walker; they're giving right. him seventy one million. He's twenty one years old. Yeah, and, and he's playing for lousy teams. You know? Right. You, yeah. you, you're just all in on these dudes. You don't know what you're getting, what they're going to mature into. And then on the flip side, you're removing their incentive to try to play for something because they're getting this giant right. contract when they're not even ready for it. So, But, you know, I, I blamed, uh, I always blamed Falk for that, David Falk, because the contract that, there were two contracts that Mark Fleischer and KG were measuring themselves against. One was Zos, and right. the other one was Jawan Howard. Remember, Juwan Howard got over $100 million. So that's what precipitated the big jump with KG. Mm. And then from there, they had to do something. And that's why we had the work stoppage. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Well, do you want to guess how much money KG made as a basketball player? It's like price is right. Price is uh, right. I'm going to say $350 million. Wow, that's a good guess. $326 million. Oh, So when he me. retired, he was the highest paid basketball player of all time. But I think uh, LeBron is probably going to pass surpassed him. Would, but but it was yeah. because of that one big contract. And of course, as you know, again, this goes back to to Kevin Garnett and the and trust and loyalty. He entrusted his money to Charles Banks the fourth. And this intersects both him and Duncan. He represented both of those guys over time, built up a ton of trust with them. And, and eventually they both gave him the keys to the car. He defrauded Tim Duncan out of millions of dollars and Tim Duncan didn't realize it till he went through a divorce. And then, you know, you always, always bring in the CE, the, uh, you know, the accountants in to ch check on everything. And he ended up having to 
take this guy to court. And the guy went to prison, Charles Manthe Worth. But during Duncan's, tr Duncan's trial, Kevin Garnett attended the trial and sat on the side of Charles Banks IV, not in support of Duncan, wow. in support of Charles Banks IV. And then guess what happens? Kevin Garnett goes through a divorce. The accountants come in and they say, hey, dude, this guy swindled you out of about $77 million. And Kevin, you know, it's all gone. Kevin Garnett lost most of it. But he was on the wrong side. And again, it was because he trusted this man and his loyalty was so strong when he believed in someone and, and was sure they had his best interest at heart. It was a blind loyalty and it, it cost him a lot of money. That's too bad. Uh, that too bad. Another, thing, another thing you need to know about Kevin Garnett, his supporting cast of Minnesota, it's, it's kind of staggering how bad it was. He might have had the worst luck of anyone with teammates. He did. In 12 years he's there, he plays with eight quality players. Joe Smith, Tom Gugliotta, Stefan Marbury, Terrell Brandon, Sam Cassell, Latrell Sprewell, Wally Serbiak, and Chauncey Billups. Four of those guys played the same position. Cassell's mm -hmm. the only All-NBA guy he ever played with in 2004, wow. his second yeah. team. And right. a lot of it goes to this Joe Smith debacle, which if Ugh. you're younger, you kind of had heard it, you remember it, but he does this wink-wink free agent deal with Minnesota in 1998 where he signs a, a one-year contract for right. a lot less. What everybody suspicious. did. What everybody yeah. used to do. Does it again the second year. It's suspicious, but again, it happened. The problem is his agent that did it ends up leaving his agency. There's a lawsuit. Stuff gets disclosed, and we find out they had actually paper trailed some of this stuff. Well, that was the mistake. Yeah. That Glenn Taylor signed something. You never do that if you're oh going to be, if you're going to pull this cap shenanigans, which every team did. What, right. the, what the Timberwolves did was no different that when, when, than what everybody else did. But it, as you know, it cost Kevin McHale a year. They suspended him for a year because he was the GM. He was the guy on the clock. So they suspended him for a year. And they, I think it cost him a draft pick too, didn't it? I can't recall. Oh, but I think more it than one, more than all, one. Initially, it was five. It was, is that right? See, my, I don't, my memory isn't good. through 05. Yeah, and then Stern gave them back too. So they lost yeah. 01, 02, Did they and really? Isn't that yeah. funny? I remember more of them at suspension of McHale than I do the draft picks, which is crazy because that's a huge... But they, they kind of deserved it. I mean, if you're going to circumvent the cap, at least have enough sense not yeah. to sign anything. My Don't goodness. be dumbasses. So right. here are all their first rounders from 97 to 06. Okay. 1997, number 20, Paul Grant. 1998, number 17, Rasha Nesterovich. Oh, my goodness. 1999, Wally Serbiak and William Avery. William they don't have another Avery. pick till 03. William the, Avery. I forgot about William Avery. Yeah. So so did you, right? <laughs> but I, until I saw him on that list, I did. 03, remember Nadude Ibi? I think that's how you said it. Nadude Ibi? barely Ibe? do. Barely well, do. they took him, yeah. 05, Rashad McCants. Oh, and yeah. Then, he was a big kid. His sister was a good player for Carolina, I believe. Oh, six. They finally there. get a lottery pack, lottery pick back. They take Brandon Roy, but then flip him for Randy Foy. Whoops. Oh, mm. seven. Roy, another guy would have been better if he hadn't gotten hurt. He was pretty good. Totally. And then oh, seven, uh, Corey Brewer. And that was the mm. draft. That was the, they were another one crossing their fingers in the, uh, in the Duran Odin draft, please. Right. And they end up getting the seventh <laughs> pick. So that was, so that's third thing. Fourth thing. The 09 Celtics have become kind of the great what-if team of that decade. Mm -hmm. And I actually did the research on this because I couldn't really remember all the details. They're 44 and 11 defending their championship. February 19th, Utah. KG goes up for an alley-oop, gets hurt. We never see him again. Yep, that's um, it. 
and it's a knee problem. It's they're super cagey about it. I'm sure you mm. were frustrated as hell finding it. Nobody would say anything. Yep. We'll have another update next week. All of a sudden the playoffs are on. He just never comes back. It's just not there. Yeah. And then for the next season was affected too. Um, you know, the playoffs that year, they somehow make the finals. They beat LeBron out of nowhere. He doesn't really look like KG. The numbers back it up. And then we he had some moments. Though. He had some, he had moments, some moments in that series, always on the defensive end too, which was pretty good considering he, you know, he's trying to plant and defend with that bad knee, you know, when you think about it, really. And he had some good woofing intensity trying to suck yep. out LeBron moments. But um, the interesting thing about that season, so they played the Lakers twice. First mm -hmm. time the Lakers beat them in LA. Second time they're in Boston and the game's on YouTube. And I actually watched it, watched the fourth quarter because I couldn't remember what happened. The Lakers win in overtime in the, on the last second. KG fouls out with four minutes to go on a touch foul. On like Derek Fisher, like slightly shoves him. He fouls out. He's out of the game. But it was this awesome game. And I, I emailed a friend of mine with the NBA. I was like, "You should run this on Hardwood Classics." Right. So like I don't the, remember that game. The finals. We we won. I didn't remember it either. Yeah. Um, but my point is, the Lakers won both of those games. And I was always in the camp of, "Oh, Celtics win definitely." But you got to hand it to that Laker team. They did go two and zero against KG and the Celtics. So yeah, and they um, were just they were just. Kobe was a different player. That to me, that that was Kobe's. I mean, it sounds silly to say Kobe's coming out party all the way to 2010, but that's when Kobe, in my mind anyway, separated himself from the Kobe of Shaq and Kobe. You know, he really right. that became his team, and he, and he learned how to be a leader, as because he was a talk about stuck in one gear. He's another guy that used right. to be like that, and he started to be a little bit of a kindler, gentler despot, if you will. And well, there's really this play at the end. They block a three. I think Allen's taking it. Gasol jumps off, blocks it. You can see mm -hmm. Kobe in the background. He does this huge fist pump right. and they all run toward him. And I, I, that was probably the game that they became the champs. So yeah, I, I don't, so that. that what if thing, as much as, uh, as a loyal Homer of a Celtic fan, I love yeah. to say they would have gone back to back. I don't know. I, I don't think we'll ever know. Um, last thing I want to talk about the thing you need to know about KG. You mentioned some of the, uh, behind the scenes intensity stuff with him. Mm -hmm. And yeah. obviously you were covering them. I know a bunch of people in the Celtics. This was always the stories that would come back. First of all, nobody swore probably more in the history of mankind than him. F-bombs every Every second. five seconds, yep. I remember I did the podcast with him and Adam Sandler last December and about- and he Oh, was for like, Uncut Gems, yeah. Well, he was like PG-13 KG. And then about 15 minutes in, he kind of tested the water with an F-bomb. And by the 30-minute mark, it's just F-bombs. <laughs> and he was just KG. He became KG. Right, I was right, like, right. I was so happy. Yeah. I was like, this is exactly what I was hoping for. Right. Um, but you talked about what he was like before games. So Doc Rivers told this story in a really good uh, oral history, Howard Beck did. Quote, uh, this is before game six of the uh, OA finals. I walked in the locker room and Kevin gets hyped up to where sometimes he goes over the line. You could see it. I had him come in my office and sit. He's sitting there five, 10, 15 minutes. I don't say a word. I just go back to work. He's moving around. And finally he says, I'm in a timeout. I'm in a timeout. <laughs> I didn't even respond. You could hear him. Phew. He started exhaling. But you think about a guy who's been in the league that long and is still that jacked up for a game that you literally have to calm him down. That's my favorite story. That yeah. was KG. They, they, they literally had to intervene before games to calm him down. Yeah, and it wasn't easy to do. I mean, Paul Pierce quickly became his best friend on that team. And Paul Pierce is the most easygoing, laissez-faire, uh, pregame guy. I mean, he gets 
everybody gets nervous, a little hyped up. But Paul and Ray, they would get all their stuff in before, and they'd be guys, they'd be sitting in the locker room entertaining everybody, their teammates, their media, everyone. And so, but Paul told me that he used to, you know, they used to say, Paul, to go talk to him. And then he finally realized, you know what? Leave him alone. He's in his own world. He would sit right. there with his head in his locker. And of course, this is naively the first time when I met him and interrupted him doing this, you know, rocking thing and muttering to himself. No wonder he snapped at me. There was a certain way he had to get himself geared up to play that way. And and I think for him, I asked him once about it, and he's like, no one wants to hear about life and death. But for me, basketball was life and death because without basketball, I had no life. Mm. That was a pretty good answer. Well, ironically, Bill Russell was very similar. I think, you know, he would go in that same kind of state. He couldn't right. interact with anyone. Well, he, he would throw, throw up, up before every day. Yeah, he'd go yeah. throw up in the bathroom. Right. But he and, wouldn't, but like KG would lash out at his own teammates if they bothered him. Like that's yeah. like back to Avery, Avery Bradley's point of like, you came in early and you're like, okay, he's here. He's doing his thing. Let me go to the training room or let me go into uh, one of the workout rooms. Like I'm staying away from that dude. And, well, I do. Don't you think that's why that does those Celtics teams had a little trouble in some of those regular seasons in 2010, 11, and 12, because you can't be that intense for 100 games a year. And they well, would always kind of have yeah. these funks, you know. Well, especially when they were hurt. And I think that's why when when they got Shaq, Shaq was a great, he, he was a great, because he's so funny. Mm. And and I remember him telling me once that, um, you know, KG was like that. And he, he Shaq did not understand this at all. So he was trying to get KG to loosen up because KG's hurt too. So he's playing hurt. So not only is he, getting himself all geared up, but he knows he's not 100% and he knows the team needs him. And Shaq tells this funny story about being in there before the game once and um, Mike Larrod, oh, I always say his name wrong, like Merritt, Mike Larrod Beanie or Beanie, you know, the, he's a, he's an assistant coach. He was with the Celtics and then he was with Cleveland right. for a while. He's a really good coach and I'm, I'm apologizing for butchering his name because he's a good coach. He's a great guy, but he's kind of a little guy. Shaq started literally bench pressing this coach over his head. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and he was trying to get like, you know, everybody get a to rise laugh. out of KG. And like, and Doc wasn't very happy about it. Doc didn't like it, you know? Yeah. And Kevin Garnett never changed expression. Like when he gets locked in like that, there's there's no getting him out. There's just no getting him out, you know. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. What's age the best? I had one thing about... Um, you just look at the player he was... Versus how the basketball is played in 2020. Mm. And you think fine. like. He'd be fine. He'd be like the perfect five, right? Stretch five, maybe not with three pointers, but you could still pull him far enough away from the basket. You'd have space for everybody. Yeah, he's, he he's Marcus Gasol, you know? Although, but, see, I think he could shoot threes. It's just that back then, no one was yeah, back teaching then him to. Have. You know, I mean, I think he was a career 27% three-point shooter or something. But And I don't think he ever took more than 100 in any season because that's just not what they needed from him, number one. But I think he's a he's. If you look at the way he shoots, he's he's actually quite a fine shooter. I think he's a guy. If you got him early and you taught him how to shoot threes, I think he'd be capable of shooting threes. Right. Uh, but but I do think 
he was he came into the league in the exact time that was perfect for him. I agree. Because because of the intensity, because of his the way he played the game, defense was very important to him. They teams built defensive schemes around him, which now you don't do. You play you want to play great defense, but defense today is all about defending defending perimeter three-point shooters. The best defensive teams do that, right? You know, like the Celtics, that's what they were great at, defending the yeah. three-point shot. Uh, so the kind of defense that teams were playing with Kevin Garnett as their anchor is a bit obsolete today, honestly. That's not what that's not how you go about it anymore. But in terms of being an unselfish teammate, guys like Kevin Garnett today, they're I think they're few and far between. People that really legitimately don't care about numbers because they they don't have to worry about the contract. I mean, that contract, he knew that was a once-in-a-lifetime contract. I mean, once-in-a-lifetime for everybody, including LeBron. LeBron right. never made a, even a contract like that. Now, LeBron's going to do much, much better when it's all said and done. But I, I don't think it was, it was, to me, ironic that he, of all people, got that deal because, you know, if it was Marbury that signed first and he signed second and he had to take the 70 or 80 million, I think he would have. Now, I might right. be wrong. I might be wrong. But I think he would have been, let, yo, dog, let's go. Let's go win some championships, you know? I always thought that 08 Celtics team, and this was frustrating to watch in the moment where Doc was always trying to go big, big, big. But yeah. if you look at a lot of the times, especially in the playoffs, that they would have these runs or pull themselves back in the game. So it was always a small lineup. Mm -hmm. And it had KG at the five, Paul Pierce at the four. Right. And then they would have Ray Allen, Eddie House, and James Posey. And it was mm -hmm. basically what we're watching now. And 100%. they would kind of... And you hear the announcers because you watch game four of the uh, Lakers Celtics series and Van Gundy really likes that lineup. And, it, and when of course you're watching he does. it and yeah. he's like, I really like what this lineup does because they can shoot. They have more mm -hmm. space for the drivers. And it's basically they're laying out this blueprint for where basketball is going, but nobody realizes it. Sure. And KG yeah. is like the perfect guy you would want as as the five in that situation. Well, and, it, and you know, KG could play point forward too, to some degree. I mean, think about that. Um, we were talking about that t Minnesota Timberwolves team in 2004 that had that great run, his MVP year, Sam Cassell goes down with the back injury. I think his backup was hurt too. His name is escaping me. Little Oh, Hudson, Troy Hudson. Troy Hudson, Troy, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he got hurt too. He was beat up too. So Kevin Garnett was taking the ball up a lot of the times <laughs> right. in that series. I mean, you know, he was already a point forward and we didn't even know what a point forward was yet. True. And yeah. it, even when you read this stuff about him early in the career, it's small forward, small forward, small forward. Right. And everybody right. pretending he wasn't seven foot one when he definitely was. Um, was. What's age the worst? The, I won't go into it, but the, some of the pieces about him coming out straight out of high school are pretty tough to read now from how is he going to handle it? This kid, mm -hmm. this kid from the streets, it's, we don't need to go into it, but no. um, the Brooklyn trade has aged terribly. It's such a bummer to think back. Uh, it's such a weird historical footnote. I mean, but, it worked out incredible for the Celtics, but right. for KG and Pierce and the fact that Pierce, who I think, look, defensible trade and obviously an incredible trade for oh, the Celtics. Yeah. It no, rebuilt their yeah. dynasty, but it sucked that Pierce didn't get to retire as a Celtic. Well, of course. But, you know, and again, I'm harping on this because it's true. Talk about a loyalty yet again. They were going to trade Pierce no matter what. They got a good deal with Brooklyn if they included Garnett. And Pierce yeah. is calling Garnett saying, come on, man, do this with me. Go with me. I, I can't do this by myself. Come with me. It's over in Boston. You know, because it was Garnett that had to say yes. Because yeah. Garnett, I'm pretty sure, had a no trade clause, if I'm not mistaken. And oh, he, he did. Said, and, and that was his best friend. And he's like, 
all right, let's let's go do this, you know, because if he if he says, no, man, I can't go with you. You're going to have to go on your own. Paul Pierce was going. Now, I don't know if he was going to go to Brooklyn, but he was going somewhere no matter what. Yeah. And there's no question in my mind because Danny Ainge was on that team with the big three and watched them, you know, fall apart physically. Bird, Parrish, and McHale, although mostly Bird and McHale because Parrish went on and played several of the years and people forget, won a championship with Chicago. And don't underestimate the fact that Danny Ainge was the first and the only one that the Red Auerbach ended up trading. Of Sacramento. Nucleus. Yeah. Right. Uh, with with Joe Klein coming back. So, um, and Pinckney, Ed Pinckney, right? Yeah. Joe Klein and Ed Pinckney came back to Boston on that trade. But so I think all of that, I remember Danny Ainge telling me years before he did it, I will never make that mistake that Red Auerbach did. I will never let my nucleus grow old. So I always thought, oh man, Pierce is in trouble here. And uh, But to, to KG's credit, he said, all right, let's go. We're going to go to Brooklyn together. And and I, I remember I flew down there. I think I was with ESPN by then. Yeah, I guess I was. I flew down there with a camera crew and interviewed those two guys right before media day, right before. And Paul Pierce was still in complete shock. He was completely shell-shocked. He was depressed. He couldn't believe he wasn't with the Celtics. He had not recovered from it. And mm. And KG was the one that was like, we're going to do this. Let's go. Come on, Paul. We can do it. Like he was doing it in front of me in the interview. You know, come on, Paul. We're going to we're going to make this work. Darren Williams, we're going to turn him into an all NBA guard. Not so much. But that was the really, flaw. Yeah, that was the whole flaw of the whole plan was they, well, they like Darren Williams. Yeah. Yeah. But they thought he was fantastic. You know, when they were working out with him this summer, they're like, you know, I remember Pierce telling me this kid, he, you have no idea how good he is. Well, in the end, you know, for whatever reason, there was something missing with Darren Williams, some kind of chip. Um, don't know what it is. Don't know him well enough to say. Um, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out. And they, they turned on Darren Williams pretty quickly. I remember the next year when Paul went to uh, Washington, right? Yeah, Washington. Washington. I did. I, I, I flew down there. Just why not? On a lark. We sat. I remember we sat in the hotel. And we talked for like an hour. And, man, he just ripped through everybody, <laughs> including Darren Williams and how, what a huge disappointment was. That was the first time he started talking about Ray. And, you know, everybody thinks we, we're mad at Ray about the Miami thing. We hate Ray. And he goes, look, we never hung out with Ray. Yeah. He said, you know, Ray was playing golf with with Ainge and Doc all the time on the road. We couldn't some knew sometimes whether he was management or part of the team. He, you know, this wasn't because we didn't all of a sudden like drop him as a friend because he left. We were never really that close friends with him. We were good teammates. We were never that close friends with him to begin with. That all of that happened in that interview in, in DC. Paul always could dish, man. Yeah, that Brooklyn thing really sounded awful. I, there's a story that I heard secondhand, but it, it it's too weird not to be true. But they're on the team playing. They're playing poker. Darren Williams is in the game with KG and Paul and somebody else. But for some reason, Darren Williams' wife or girlfriend is on the plane. And halfway oh. through the game, she comes over and she's like, hey, I thought blah, blah, blah. And he oh, has wow. to leave the game. And KG is just like having a full yeah. KG Are you conniption. Me? Yeah, right. And right, it was right. just like such a bad fit in so many different ways. Uh, yeah, too bad. Yeah, yeah, that was tough. The the other one stage, the worst for him is just he, he seven straight round one exits to start his career. Oh, unbelievable! That he I mean, played he played nine elimination this- games, nine elimination games. So they won two, but uh, two and seven, obviously. Uh, 18 and 10, 40% field goal and got his ass kicked a couple of times by like Carl yeah, Malone and right. uh, Weber and people like that. And at some point we all started looking at each other like, wait, does this guy have it? Yeah. But in fairness, who was he playing with? Who was he playing with? See, Kevin Garnett was never LeBron James. 
No one's ever said he was. Like, I, I remember someone once comparing Kevin Garnett to Kevin Durant. I was like, what? To me, that comparison is so They're, they're completely base. different. It's like not even close. Because Kevin Garnett is an alpha dog on the defensive end, not on the offensive end. So he, he, he didn't want to be the guy that had to score the winning basket. Yeah, he had to all, like talk himself into it. You can yeah, almost and, see him like, oh God, okay, I have to yeah. post up now. We need this. No, versus right. like just and, doing and, it. And by the way, he, he he had to rely on someone else to get him the ball. I mean, he was not a, he could create his own offense, but th- again, that's not what his strength was. It's yeah. not what he wanted to do. It wasn't what he thought the team needed from him. So I, I just think, you know, the guy, he didn't, it's like the early years with Jordan. People forget because now he's the greatest and the last dance has immortalized him further, which I love. But, you know, his first few, two, three, four years when they don't win, everyone's like, well, you know, he's a great individual player, but he doesn't make anybody around him better. They're never going to win with him. Oh, really? <laughs> well, you, you know, know, that was also the rise of the internet and people like me. Oh, really? Who, yeah, well, was, you think 0001, 0203, that was when really the basketball blog Kind of okay. that all was coming into uh, shape. And I went back, there was a long piece actually in Sports Illustrated, not a blog, but uh, in 03, basically like, what's to do with KG? Why can't he win in the playoffs? And it's like a long feature about, is this guy missing something? So hmm. this was in the zeitgeist. And this was like the birth of sports radio is at, at right, its peak right, at this right. point. Okay. Yeah. ESPN talking head shows. Sure. This is PTI's going at that point. Yep. And these were the kind of things we started talking about day to day. I can and tell you, yeah, I could tell you around the horn was too. We just celebrated our 18th anniversary today. So we oh, were, wow. on, we were yeah. on the air. So you yeah. were on there too, probably, yeah. probably, probably asking did, if KG probably was clutch. Probably KG, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next category is too early, too late, just right. You answered this already. He came in at the perfect time. Perfect time. And, um, you know, there's a world he comes 20 years later and becomes a stretch five. But I, I like the era that he put. Yep, Next I category is nerd corner. So here's the thing. Nerd corner. I mentioned this earlier. KG was the NBA's first great advanced metrics guy. Hmm. And there's a lot of stuff about this. So is this like wins above replacement? That kind of all guy? the stuff. So yeah, okay. Oh after the 0304 season, Dan Rosenbaum does adjusted plus minus. It's the first season they ever do it. This is KG's MVP season. KG's plus 16.2. The next three guys were T-Mac at 12.6, Andre Karolinko at 12.3. Oh, I remember Andre Karolinko, Utah Jazz, yeah. yeah. And Tim Duncan at 12.1. And there was that was also when we had on off-court stuff. Uh, Minnesota was allowed 7.3 fewer points per 100 possessions when KG was on the floor than when he wasn't. Right, Hollinger's all that makes doing sense. P, Hollinger's doing PR at that point. KG okay. led the league in 2004 PR. I so bet he was a good the, real, he was a good real plus minus guy too. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So all the yeah. nerds are going nuts about him. And it was kind of the first time we were like, oh, okay. Oh, wait, it's more than just wins and losses and points, rebounds <laughs> yeah, right. and all that stuff. Uh, next category is, was he a one of one? My, I'll let you answer, but my answer is as a basketball player, no. Cause I think we've seen variations of him as a competitor personality urban legend figure, I would say yes. I would say absolutely one-on-one. I've never seen anybody since him with the ferocity with which he attacks the game, his players, his coaches, and himself. Mm. And uh, and sometimes to the great, great um, wonderment and and benefit of his team, and sometimes to the, the opposite. Mm. And I thought he did a much better job near the end of his career 
really managing that. And uh, I remember I did go out near the end of his career when he was in Minnesota to finish out, you know, the final years. And they basically assigned him to Carl Anthony Towns and right. said, all right, get get to it with this kid. And Good they luck. were like, they were like two little buddies. You know, they really, K, KG wrote him hard. Carl Anthony Towns loved it. Like they spent two seasons together. And I think, I think they were on their way to really, I think he was really doing a great job with Cat. And mm. then of course the whole thing, you know, Flip had come back and then Flip passed and then the the ownership thing fell through and KG, you know, has left Minnesota vowing never to return and all that, which was a, a sad ending for all that. But he, even there, I remember going, he was not playing at all. I mean, go back and look at his final years. He didn't play at all. And, but he was, you, you mentioned it earlier and you're so right. He was the singular personality in the room. It was like there were 40 people in the gym but there was only one spotlight and it was on the top of his bald head because whether he was talking to the media or working with a teammate or doing his own weird stuff, which he did so much of so many weird things. I've seen him do so many strange things in my lifetime, more strange than any other player I've ever seen. He was different. He was different. I've never been around anybody like him. I really haven't. It's hard to explain what it's like to be in the room with him because he's seven foot one. He's obviously a handsome guy. Um, He's talks 5,000 miles an hour. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's staring at you. He's making eye contact with you in like the most intense way possible. And it seems like it's the most important conversation he's ever had in his life. And you're just shooting the shit about, you know, in my case, it was what was elected to do uncut gems. Right. And he's so into it and he's so passionate and he's just he one of those guys. You could just tell like, yeah, he was great. In that movie. You could tell so though that that's just what he's like. There's no like, oh, KG's kind of mellow today. He's just like this. He moves from room to room right. with this vibe and that I, he has. And I think that's a lot to do with his growing up. I think he had a very difficult childhood. His dad was mm. never around. His mom, you know, was there, but not always necessarily a super positive influence. Very close to his sisters. Um, his one sister in particular ended up going to Farragut with him in Chicago. Very protective of his sister. And I think there was a lot of Afraid to almost go to sleep at night because of what might happen. Think about that. You go to bed wide-eyed like, you know, is someone going to come in the house, take our money? Yeah. We hardly have any. What, like, just, I think that kid was on edge from the time he was born because he had to be. Well, and then really he had do. that stuff in South Carolina where he gets yep. thrown into this fight with where a student got beaten up. He got accused. Turned out he wasn't involved. He was just right. kind of well, watching yeah. from afar. And he ends right. up having to move to Chicago. And has this stigma of like, oh, that's the kid who had to move from Carolina to Chicago to right. keep playing basketball. He's got to shed that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, he Paul did not Pierce have an was, easy life. Paul Pierce was trying to get him to play with him because they had done that summer league thing where they yeah. were skipping out on the cab fares. And he thought he had convinced Kevin Garnett to come play at his high school. Like oh he was God. convinced by the time they left. Like, yeah, I've convinced him. And then, of course, that didn't happen. He was... and. Paul told me, like, I was kind of hurt. Like, I really thought he was coming, you know? And then they're getting ready to go to college. And he's talking to KG, where are you going? Where are you going? Of course, K KG can't pass the ACT exam. He's trying. He keeps failing. He can't pass. Paul's going to Kansas. KG, I think, was going to end up going to Maryland. I'm pretty sure that's where he was headed. He was going to go to yeah. Maryland. And um, and then right when he declared that he was going pro, he found out he passed that exam. Right. I that was, yeah. I had that in my research for later. He got a 970 on the SAT, yeah. which is actually pretty Not good. Bad. But yeah, yeah, he didn't 
didn't do it, didn't do it, and all of a sudden did it. He's probably so intense when he's taking the SAT. Can you imagine? He probably broke six somebody. pencils. <laughs> like, ah! And I don't know the pencil. I didn't know the pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, unintentional comedy wrinkle. We meant we mentioned anything is possible, which yeah. I think was probably the most iconic post-final so speech anyone's ever given. So funny. And then we mentioned this too, but it's worth saying one more time, like the the behind the scenes KG oh, I, swearing stories. Like I think everybody who's been around him has probably three stories of just KG with 40 F-bombs right. in it. And that's but, just who he was. So my, my favorite KG story of all time is he's playing for the Celtics. It's later in his career. Uh, Doc's trying to save him. Doesn't want to, wants him to sit out practice. And he's like, I can't sit out practice. They all see me. It's a weakness. They think I'm getting old. Don't do this to me, coach. Coach, don't do it. I got to play. And he goes, I need to rest you. You got bad knees. You're going to yeah. sit. I'm not playing you. So he puts Leon Poe into the starting, you know, the practice in his place. And, and, Garnett's pacing the silence. He's so pissed off. He can't believe that the doc did this to him. He's so ticked off. So he's watching them and they're, and they're working out and he starts mimicking everything Leon Poe does. So he's on the sideline and Leon Poe's running down the court. He starts running down the court, pretending he's like doing the same. So when Leon Poe gets to set a screen, he's setting a screen on an imaginary person on the sideline. Leon Poe gets the rebound. He jumps up and grabs the rebound. And, and Leon Poe runs down and he's beating Leon Poe down the floor on the sideline. And Doc's yelling to him, stop cut it, it out. <laughs> like, will you stop it? He's like, I'm trying to run a practice here. Stop it. I'm going to have to call practice. Garnett's ignoring him and he keeps doing it. And finally, Doc has to blow the whistle and have to, has to end practice. Oh you know, then there's another story. Flip, he's trying to go through the uh, walkthrough the day of a game and he's trying to show the offense what, you know, what, how, what, what the opposing team's going to do offensively against their defense. So he's got, all right. So he's telling the defense, just stand there and I'm going to run it through. So he's run through and he goes, you pass here. Now you pass into the post. Now Garnett's the guy's supposed to be guarding in the post. They passed in the post and Garnett kept deflecting the ball. And Flip's like, Kevin. We're just running their offense. Like, just let the ball. No. <laughs> like, he just Good can't handle. do it. Can't do it. Craziest oh guy God. I've ever seen. I mean, the, the the blocking shots after the whistle drove me crazy. So Celtics stupid. Fan. Such a we had gotten thing. him. He'd had like 1,100 games at that point. It's like, what yeah, are you doing? So you only have so many jumps left. Yeah, man. Anyway. It's so dumb. It's like um, me. Now when I walk up the stairs, I'm conserving how many times I go up and down the stairs. <laughs> Add a little excitement to your sports watching experience by betting on all the action on FanDuel Sportsbook this football season. There's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Their app, simple to use. Great odds on all different betting markets. Unique fun bet types like same game parlay. Exclusive always on promotions so that you get a little more action out of every game day. And if you win, they even get your winning safely in as little as 24 hours. Right now, they're letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game. FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back. If you don't win your first bet, no strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. I did on uh, I did million-dollar picks. I had Houston was, was my favorite one in that Detroit game. That was the one, that was the one we backed. It was about... Two and a half, Houston by two and a half when we did that one. So that was the one I recommend. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code BSBOOK. Once again, FanDuel Sportsbook promo code BSBOOK. 
Must be 21 plus present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee. First online real money wager only. Site credit non-withdrawable expires 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700, Colorado. 800-BETS-OFF-IOWA. 800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. 800-GAMBLER-JERSEY, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Tennessee, 800-889-9789 or 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Defining playoff moment, we have Game 7, Sacramento 2004. We need really Chris Webber's last big moment too as a yeah. player. And then his knees went on him. But they had a nice little rivalry and, and KG puts up 32 and 21. Huge, big game. Yeah. If they show it on it. Hardwood Classics sometimes, it's a great one. Or Game 6, Lakers 2008. I would actually say both. I think those are the two defining KG games. Yeah, I, I would say the sac. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but because, you know, the game six, they win the championship. He wins the championship for Boston. But to me, that was really just the sum of a whole bunch of parts because I think yeah. he had some amazing games all the way through. That Sacramento game, I remember that very well. I think he had five blocks in that game. Yeah. Again, I, I was always focused on what he was doing defensively because I really think that's the way he dominated games. And yet that's what made that game so incredible because he had gigantic numbers offensively yeah. too in that game. And they had, as you mentioned earlier, had had so little playoff success. They had to win that series. They had to. They really did. And they didn't end up losing to the 2004 uh, Lakers, which was that team with Carmelone and Gary Payton and all those guys that ended up losing to Chauncey Billups and the, and the Pistons. But right. it was really important that the Timberwolves won that game, won that series for their trajectory, for his career, for his credibility. So I, I'm, I'm actually going to take that one over. Because I think, because the other thing was in that that great game six, I mean, Ray Allen was unbelievable in that game. He had yeah. 25, 26 points. I think that was the game Paul was, Paul had like 10 assists in that game. Like there were a lot of other guys that played great. And certainly KG, Paul got the MVP. He deserved it. But everybody agreed. Without KG, you don't get there. And Paul's the first to admit that. He completely changed the culture of that team and how they went about winning. Well, another case for that Minnesota thing, that's the only time they've ever won a second round series. Isn't that crazy? That well, no, it isn't crazy. 30 years. Yeah, I mean, it isn't really crazy when you look at the personnel and the mistakes they've made along the way. You know, I, I just, I always look back at his draft and you were talking before about, um, you know, mistakes people make in the draft. Like the Philadelphia 76ers are picking third. They picked Jerry Stackhouse, who's a, very fine, had a very fine NBA. But just imagine if you had Kevin Garnett and Allen Iverson. Just oh my think God. about it. Just think about it for a minute. I I should have had that in greatest what if sliding door moment. The, well, there's the possibility my, of Iverson well, and KG back to back. It certainly would have been the coolest team of all time. Right. Um, next one is market corrector or market corrected. So... I always have to explain this one, but it's basically yeah. like Tom ha Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton. They're neck and neck, and then Tom <laughs> Hanks all of a sudden gets yeah, it takes off better yeah. parts for eight years and Michael Keaton. Right. Um, I think Duncan definitely market corrected KG a little bit. And if Duncan isn't in the league at all, maybe there's more love for KG. They were both 100%. like these incredible, unique, you know, tall, power forward slash center people that were just, you know, we've only really had two of them. Right. We've had a lot of guys we've compared them to since Weber had a cup of coffee where I think he was on their level, at least statistically, but it wasn't like not as a teammate. He was probably a better offensive player than both of them, Weber, but he just yeah. wasn't a complete player like they were. Right. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. Duncan, 
And yet, you know, it was KG that got all the money and Duncan got all the rings. And you know, KG would switch places with him in a heartbeat. But well, as now we, we have da- now we have yeah. Davis as the kind of 2.0 version of those guys yeah, in a lot of different Davis ways. Davis is uh Davis really impressed me in that, you know, in the down the stretch there with the Lakers. I had some questions about him. I think we even talked about it a little bit. Oh yeah. Again, the he's not stuck in that fifth gear all the time. We know that. Okay. But no, a lot of guys aren't. I'm not even gonna say that's a criticism. Yeah. Um, but what he did on both ends to lock up that series was pretty incredible. Agree. He, he was great defensively for the Lakers down the stretch. He really was. It's unbelievable. Half-assed internet research. I've covered everything. The only thing is, I don't, and I, I have no way to prove this. I don't know if anyone has played with more head cases than KG than did. KG. I mean, well, he's a head case too, though. Don't forget that. Well, think about this. He shows up to the Timberwolves who drafted J.R. Ryder the year before. That guy's oh, on the team. I had forgotten that. <laughs> Springwell passes through there. Ricky yeah. Davis, Mark Blunt, Troy yeah. Hudson. Like it, it, Wally Serbiak in his own way was, yeah. was a head case, right? Well, a really you know, difficult was teammate. Yeah. And like Tom Marbury. Gugliotta, who, Tom Gugliotta, who loved KG and was not a head case, couldn't wait to get the hell out of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's just very, it's, it's like a chem, if you go through his basketball reference pages, you're like, oh my God, he played with that guy? Oh, that guy? Big baby. It's, Thank yeah, you, big baby. Yep, oh yeah, when baby. you get to Boston, you got even yeah. more. Uh, what if slide? Biggest what if sliding doors moment. We mentioned the Stephon Marbury trade. We mentioned the Joe right. Smith debacle, getting hurt in two thousand nine. You mentioned that if he had gotten drafted by Philly is a great one. Yeah. But really, summer of two thousand seven, mm-hmm. the Lakers are trying to get him for Andrew Bynum and Lamar Odom. Nash has always claimed, um, to me at least, that Phoenix had a chance to get him for Stoudemire and they Marion. Did. But the money would have been long term. It was more money, and they just Sarver right. was no way he was signing off on that. Um, That's where KG then, wanted to go. That's where KG wanted to go. He really wanted to go to Phoenix. He loved the owner Steve just Nash. wasn't going to do it because yeah. remember that was the year they trade Kurt Thomas just to dump his contract. Right. right. Um, they they're just trying to cut costs left and right. Yeah. Then on the internet, which I don't even remember, but Chris Mullen claims on 2007 draft when they traded Jason Richardson for Brandon Wright. That, okay. that draft night trade, that initially there was a three-team deal that would have sent Garnett to the Warriors, huh. uh, Jason Richards and the Bobcats, and then a whole bunch of draft picks and assets, Monte Ellis, the number nine pick, future, future draft picks, whatever would have gone to Minnesota, and that the Warriors owner, Chris Cohan, vetoed the deal. I find that hard to believe, but it is I on the internet. I've never heard that. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard that, but that doesn't mean it isn't true because some of the best deals that never happened or ones we've never heard of. So you know, Chris Mullen claims that happened in the words. Yeah. And he's not, it. he's Who not knows? a, and, and Chris is a fairly reputable guy. He's not a rumor monger right. per se, you know? And I, I mean, last time I talked to Pierce about, I forget when, Oh, we were talking about just the end of the line with doc and how that got messy because Pierce wasn't playing and, you know, wanted yeah. to play more. He told me this story that like doc sent Sam Cassell down to tell him, we're going to trade you. We have a deal with you. You're going to the Knicks. And and Pierce is like, what? Are you freaking kidding me? You tell Doc if he's going to trade me, he better get down here in person and tell me. And you also tell him, I'm not going. You're not mm. trading me. And then apparently they called off the deal. So I don't know how. Well, so I've what only, year is that? Like 2000? Like at the very, very end of Pierce's like time. Like Yeah, somewhere So the in there. Carmelo and, season. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I've always met this. I forget, you know, how you give all these things swimming in your head. I always forget to ask Doc about it. But hmm. but Pierce told me about it and said, I think I even wrote about it, to be honest. And he said that, you know, 
he said to Doc, like, why do you keep sanding Sam Cassell down? If you have something to say, say to, to me, like, we've known each other all these years, you know? And, and of course, they're all fine now. It's all worked out now that everybody's retired. Everybody's good again. But uh, it was, I think it was difficult. So I think there's a lot of trades like that we don't ever hear about. That 07 Warriors trade, it was right after they beat Dallas. They had that whole We Believe season. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. think it would have been Andres B. Adrian's Montellus, the number nine pick, probably some future first. So they would have still hmm. had KG, Barrett Davis, Steven Jackson, wow. Matt Barnes. Oh, nasty. Imagine Talk that about team. the bad boys. Oh my That's God. The bad boys, the West, the West Coast <laughs> edition. That would have been fun. Such a great what if. Uh, two more categories. Post-retirement, has he been Barkley'd or Hondoed? Meaning mm-hmm. has he gained prominence or yeah. has like Havlicek? who retires as one of the 10 best players ever. Nobody ever discusses No one ever him hears from him again. Yeah, and he, but, I'm so sad that we lost him too. Um, I think so it's too I, early to call this one, personally. It is early, but I, I was originally would have guessed that he was going to be Hondo because he just never had any interest in doing interviews, in being out in the public. It, it just wasn't his personality. But then, you know, he did that Area 21 thing and we were all like, whoa, what is this? And then that yeah. came and went. But then I thought the Uncut Gems thing, to me, was just this huge... I was like, wow. And and that movie was so frenetic. I was like, this is the perfect movie for Kevin Garnett to totally. be in. Right? It was such a great movie. And, uh, and you know, now you see him do, I think it's Hennessy commercials. or So I feel like maybe he's warming up to the idea that he wants to be a little more involved. But I'm, I saw him I saw him at the All-Star Game in February in Chicago. Talked to him for a bit. Because, you know, they're going to retire his number in right. Boston. Of course, he's also going into the Hall of Fame. And I was trying to talk to him about going into the Hall of Fame. And I don't know, I guess he just equates me with Boston. Like, he just kept talking about the retirement ceremony. He's like, I already told him, I don't want no Paul Pierce thing. I don't want all that stuff. I want it small. I want it quiet. I told Paul, no, we're not doing all this stuff. So, like, he's still, his first inkling is still, keep it small, keep it real. I don't want to be in the limelight. I don't, like, he almost didn't go to Paul Pierce's retirement because he knew that he would be the one that everyone would be talking about because Paul's back all the time. And, and he was right, by the way, he was the big headliner. Everyone's like, Oh my God, KG's here. And so, so I think he's, he'd rather be Hondo, but, but he probably, you know, he lost all that money to that agent. He probably has to be a little more Barkley than he wants mm. to be. You know, they had to like really convince him to come back for that Paul Pierce thing. But you're right. I, I know. think your, your uncut gems call, I think that probably pushes him more toward Barkley because that, yeah, that was, I love amazing. that movie. Oh, He's amazing it. in it. It's one of the best oh. athlete performances in any so movie. So real. Didn't yeah. you feel like it was just really him? You know, yeah. the same intensity, like he saw that gem and he won it, like the whole thing. And I went to, I went to that movie with my daughter and uh, she's a huge NBA fan and, you know, literally grew up watching the Celtics, going to the Celtics, the whole thing. And so we, we went, she was home uh, over Christmas and we, we went to go see it and we were sitting there in, in the theater and, and, and we were just both like completely sucked in. And then, you know, the ending is just so shocking. Yeah. We were like, whoa. And yeah. she, I mean, she's the one that said to me, that was such a KG movie. And I'm like, you're so <laughs> right. It really, it really was. It was so well, It was written, written and directed by the Safdie brothers who I yeah. think- understood KG completely and how perfect he was for that movie. And ironically, he was supposed to be Joel Embiid. Right. It and wasn't his first. They weren't the they first They shoehorned K- KG in and it turned out to be the perfect right. guy. And wasn't um, Rondo supposed to be in it and he overslept or something? I think that's what happened. Yeah. 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 That's uh, perfect. <laughs> overrated, underrated, properly rated. I think he's a little underrated now. Would be my Well, take. I do too. I do too. And I, and I, I don't know if that's a, my own personal bias because I, I was there every step of the way. And again, you put him on a team, you switch places with Duncan, and 
I don't know if he's as great or as Duncan switched was. places with Rasheed Wallace in Portland for eight years, you know, like they, there's yeah, really. a lot of teams I, that I think he yeah, could have he was with. he was such a model teammate. Yeah. You know, he really was like he was not he didn't want to leave. He didn't shoot his way out of Minnesota. They shot him out of there. Yeah. And so I just think for any coach that appreciate guys who played hard and worked hard, I just think he, he could have excelled elsewhere. And he just, and then, you know, in Boston, he, you know, he had the injury and, you know, it's a shame that injury and Shaq's Achilles injury. I still say, you know, they traded Perk because the analytics told them, well, they don't want to pay Perk number one, but number two, the analytics told them, like we talk about on the court, off the court, the numbers with Shaq on the court, off the court versus Perk's were, it wasn't even close, Bill. I mean, right. and not even close. But the risk factor was, can Shaq stay healthy for a year? And it couldn't. Yeah. And you know what? In fairness to him, because I was writing a book with him during that time, that Achilles, people thought, oh, he, he's dogging it or whatever. I'm telling you what, he has a scar. I can't even make my hand big enough to show you mm -hmm. how long the scar is on the bat. Like that was a career ending. It Like that was a legitimate, he was getting shot up. He was doing everything they asked to try to play in, the, in those play. And he just couldn't do it. I mean, that was a, a much more serious injury than people realized. I actually think they had a chance to beat that Heat team if he's healthy. Oh, and I do too. Remember Wade hurts Rondo in Boston yep. in that game, yep. and it's just yep. it's it's a it series that gets glossed over. I, I do think it should have been closer. Uh, all right, final pyramid ranking for me in the Hall of Fame pyramid. I have KG at number twenty three. Hmm. Um, twenty three. So I have him. I have twenty two Carl Malone, twenty three Kevin Garnett, wow, 24, 24 Charles Barkley. So, so I that's have him a, right in the middle of those three guys. And that's a concession because you're not a huge Carl Malone fan, I know. Um, yeah, but the problem with Carl Malone is his, oh, when you just look at the numbers, it's like staggering. And 100 well, yeah. years from now, people are going to think he was one of the five best players of all time. And well, he wasn't that, but he really was very, very, very good. The, Talk I'm about saying reliable, when they look at the stats, yeah, yeah, they're going to yeah. think he was like LeBron James, basically. Yeah, um, he was very, he was really fantastic. So... I'm going to say you've got him just about right. I'm not good at ranking players because, like, I noticed, uh, like, I think you had Steph Curry at 21. So, yeah. so um, to give people context, I had Julius Irving 19, Pettit 20, Curry 21, Malone 22, Garnett 23, Barkley 24, and Kawhi Leonard stepping 25. in at 25. Could, because, could move up, could move down. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, once we, yeah, seriously. <laughs> right, I mean, there, no, was, really. <laughs> there was like a week during when the Lakers, when Davis was looking like he was going to average 40-20 for yeah. the finals. I was like, I might have to move Davis up to like 29. But no, right. then he cooled It's so off. hard to do. Like, And this is yeah. where I I, ref, I I defer to you because you're the historian and I'm, I've never been good at that. I had like, I never saw Bob Pettit play. I've seen grainy footage of Bob Pettit. You know, my instincts tell me, Kevin Garnett was better than Bob Pettit. Oh, he, de but again, he was definitely better. It's more but, like a but, career versus well, the other I mean. guys you're playing right. against. Yeah. And so that's so that's kind of, you're making my point for me is that no matter how good I think Kevin Garnett was a, as a player, his career is different. So you have your career and then your actual abilities and talents as a player. What did you do with them? And, and some of it's luck. Some of it's who you got to play with, the franchise that drafted you, all of those things. Um, so in the end, I think with a different situation, with a little more luck, I think Kevin Garnett easily could have been a top 15 player of all time. I really believe that. But that's not what happened. Right. Well, look at Durant. So I have Durant, I think, 15th. Okay. If we don't have that cap spike that year, he goes to Boston probably instead of Golden State maybe. or stays in OKC. And maybe he doesn't win any titles. And I guarantee you he's not in my top 15. It was the fact that he had this window. 
Mm. And it was a little bit the same for KG. Like, let's say he goes to Phoenix instead of the Celtics or Lakers in in 07 and they just can't get over the hump there and whatever. And then- Yeah, they got Amari. They still have Amari, right? Yeah. I think he would have, Amari would have had to be in the trade though. Oh yeah, that's true. He, yeah, you would have had to give something back. Oh, I still would have yeah. done that. But so Steve Kerr was the GM, right? Steve Kerr was a GM. Is that I right? I think he was taking over as that was all happening. Yeah, I got to ask him how close that was. Yeah, that that's yeah. something we should both look into. That's it's a good what fun. if. Um, yeah. All right, Jackie McMullen. This was uh, as fun oh, as I fun. thought it was going to be. See, I told you. I was like, hey, we just just bounce off me. We'll talk <laughs> about KG for an hour and a half. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate. All it. All right, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. Remember, you can find all of the podcasts from season one, season two, and the two other ones we did for season three on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Coming back next week with another episode. See you then.